brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. So any questions or thoughts, concerns before we get going? I think if not... I have an unspoken prayer request. Oh, good. Okay. I hear that. Jesus sees that unspoken. Yes. Seth. Do you mind going over to my uh, screen on here and making me host? Yes, sir. So that I can do our, our thing? You are now the man. That's what I appreciate. <laughs> <laughs> I think oh, instead we're gonna, of we're gonna uh, raising money for Elizabeth's computer, let's raise money for a tapestry to go in the background. <laughs> for real. <laughs> However, I will just note, Elizabeth, since that is all one color, you could probably totally use a, uh, a green screen a background. background. A green screen background. I don't you know should, if I should can use do that a, for my tablet. A poor, set, a poor Seth picture back there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Are we ready? Chris? Yes, sir. I'm you ready. Got, you got your sound prepared. I'm, it's pulled up and ready to go. Are you I ready? can't are you, wait. Are you sure. ready? I'm just, ready? I want to make ready? sure we're... Are you ready? Are you ready? Go! Okay. Three, two, one. You spelled bias wrong. <laughs> Did you spell his last name wrong? That's great. Fade to gray network. <laughs> we invite people of all backgrounds to share their stories. Through nuanced conversations and forward thinking and not taking ourselves too seriously. Everyone's story matters. Every voice is important. Life is polarizing. But not everything is black and white. Come join us as we fade to gray. Welcome, welcome back to another episode of Fade to Gray. That's right. On our Sunday evening, it is my pleasure to introduce our guest, Jared Bias, B-Y-A-S, for those who are tuning in. Um, very excited to have him on, uh, author of Love Matters More. Before we get into the, his little bio, let me guys tell you about, if you haven't noticed, if, if you ever see me wear this poor Seth shirt during recording <laughs> and ever ask yourself, how do I get myself one of those sweet ass shirts? Well, let me tell you, really? now you have an opportunity. Really? <laughs> really? Now you have, yeah, yeah, Seth. Wait, I'm not done There's yet. more than just Seth, poor Seth merch on the site, though, right? Yeah, well, no. Look, yes, let me finish. <laughs> yes, but no, people are only going to want the poor Seth. But yes, you can also get movies that molded me, mental. You can find some foreign toe merch on there as well. Yeah, as, I even as, made as, a t-shirt for my show, Seth. Yes. I mean, I have I have Mental's it's, got a shirt. I'm we're it's up there. Cheaper so, though, my shirt's cheaper than the poor Seth shirt because well, Omar. Me, why is it more expensive? Well, well, let me tell people where they can find this shirt first before everyone just calm down. We're we're very excited. We've had a podcast now for two years. We finally have a store, so we're all excited to tell you about it. And we all have merch. We want you to check it out, even if you don't buy it. Let us know. Um, uh, Seth's merch is about five dollars more than anything else there per item and yes, that goes is. directly mm-hmm. to the poor seth fund and goes directly yes. into <laughs> seth's pocket to, to keep thank you S- S- sethany at bay be- when we when we talk about poor seth merch because his he's a he's a popular <laughs> member of the podcast and um very animated and his animated face is out there a lot already on mugs and things like that and so now animated he, he, or dramatic I'm, Yes. <laughs> yes. Both. And so when your when your face is plastered onto t shirts that make you look like you're <laughs> obese and have a weight problem. Oh. All right. Well, have you seen the cartoon of my face? There it is looks a like cost. a triangle. I really want to talk to Jared today, so let's let's no, not, I do too. Let's, let's <laughs> not get into to your cartoon. But anyways, we have a merch store, ladies and gentlemen. Issues. It's very exciting. We're very stoked about it. Please feel free to go check it out. Where Where's can they find it, Omar? 
Store Frontier uh, backslash uh, FTG Network. And so there will be a link below. Elizabeth, you want to? somebody wants to put it down uh, there? I was trying to, get to there. type in there. My phone's freaking out. I'll, okay, I'll, we'll, we'll get, we'll get it, it in. <laughs> Definitely check, check it out. Um, Patreon members, shout out to you guys. It's growing. Lots of fun there. Marco Polo. Um, check us out there. And if you have not heard yet, we launched a FTG Network um, where all, all this other sick merch is coming in. We have... Uh, Hold on a second. We have There's mental. We have if you want, which talks about. Go ahead, Seth. You want to talk? You want to say something? You have your no. finger, your hand raised. No, I'm just okay. counting all the podcasts. So okay. mental. Who else? We have mental, which talks about mental health issues. Along that with with Seth himself and his co-host <laughs> Michelle. We have uh, Jesus. Uh, help me out here. Movies uh, that Holy molded Spirit. me. Movies that the molded best me. One. <laughs> which, which is me, Chris. Ow, ow. And Elizabeth, we have uh, your atheist pastor with Stephanie, as well as the Reapcast. Thank you with the Brocklemans, Clay and Julia. So uh, it's uh, and four and of, It's a lot of fun. Check us out, um, eh. and that's uh, on <laughs> FTG Network or Fade to Gray Network. You can find us there. So all right, all that is a business taken care of. So here we go, Jared Bias. It is my pleasure to introduce you, my man. He is a pastor, or has been a pastor, a professor of philosophy and biblical studies, Sunday school teacher, podcast host, author, speaker, husband of 16 years, and father of 4.5 kids, um, co-host pretty impressive. of, yes, 4.5, 4. <laughs> congratulations, um, and uh, co-host <laughs> for, of The Bible for Normal People, and co-author of Genesis for Normal People. In his newest book, we're going to be getting into Love Matters More. Jared, it is a pleasure to have you here. Very, very excited to have you. We had, if you guys know, Pete Enns was on the show about a year ago and um, really good turnout, really good conversation. Ever since then, I've wanted to talk to Jared as well. He's the other host of Bible for Normal People and just so glad that you made the time to come here today and let's... uh kind of get into it. Elizabeth got, we got a copy of your book this week. Elizabeth is the only person who's read any of it. She gave us a little synopsis. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it, but babe, you wanted to kind of fire it off with your first question. Well, let's say, hi, Jared. You can say hi now. <laughs> hi there. Hey, it's good to be here. And I love all those sticky notes in the, in the book. Oh yeah. I, I'm addicted to sticky notes. So I figured this was a really great uh, way to use them was marking down bits and pieces that I loved. Um, so you've wrote, you've written this book, Love Matters More, and I am 60 pages in right now. And one of the things that I really have enjoyed about it is that I can tell we're the same age, <laughs> like your, your cultural references. And like, when I was a kid, this happened. I was like, oh my gosh, yes, we have to be the same age. Um, but basically, so what, what made you want to write this book? Um, Love Matters More, How Fighting to Be Right Keeps Us from Loving Like Jesus. Yeah, I, there's a few events or things in my life. I think one was when I was a pastor, I had a class called Four Skeptics Only. And it was it was for non-Christians only at, at the church. So it was a large church. So a lot of spouses would come and they thought it was good for their kids to be in church. It was a family event, but they didn't, they didn't buy into any of it. And we wanted to give them a space. So we had a class for them that ran all late winter and, and all spring. And we just talked about all the major arguments against Christianity in that class. And it was just a place mostly for people to recognize that they could bring all of their questions and doubts and God wasn't going to strike them dead in a church if they did that. Um, so I, I grew to love that class and um, and we talked a lot about truth in there. So that, that was kind of one thing is, is in the back of my mind, I'd been constantly thinking about how to talk to people about truth. It's, it's a pretty slippery, heady subject. But then on the other side, I would say, you know, I grew up being able to play the game really well of being smart and having lots of answers. And I learned that that's what you got affirmed for, but I was also a pretty sensitive kid. And so I learned early on, you didn't get affirmed for being emotional or empathetic or valuing love sort of, we said that, but at the end of the day, what got you the promotion or got you the head of the Sunday school or got you asked to volunteer was if you knew your stuff. And I felt yeah. like as I got older, that was just really 
unfair. And I think it was timed for me to kind of give voice to, hey, we got to affirm these people who, for whom love matters more, um, instead of kind of relegating them to the margins of the church. Yeah. Yeah, I really like that. Um, I'm trying to listen and look at my notes at the same time. I don't do very well with this multitasking thing, so... Uh, I really okay. So I had this one marked down that I really loved. The um, on page twenty nine, you were talking about how certainty. You were realizing that certainty is a feeling, um, and that feelings are just on a spectrum. And I, um, yeah, the quote that I had. One thing that helped me in this journey was to recognize that certainty is a feeling. We are often on a spectrum of feelings, from feeling absolute, absolutely certain to feeling absolutely uncertain. That that really was good for me to hear was uh, because along the same lines as you, like I, I had that church background. I had that same idea of we had to do, do the right things. You had to believe the right things. And I, I have very vivid memories of having discussions with some of my high school friends as we got to college age and we were going to different uh, uh, going to different places in our theology at that point. So we'd grown up with one theology. Now we're in college and we're getting all these other ideas. And my one friend, Rich, he was like, you have to know what you believe. You have to know. And I'm like, why do you have to be certain? And it never made sense to me. And he he was like dogmatic about it. Uh, but that, how did you get to that point, realizing that certainty is a feeling? Yeah, it's interesting. I think I say, I don't know if you've gotten there in, in the book, but we actually had a symposium once in seminary on this idea. And it turned into, there was like half the room that was like, no, you can be certain. And certain is like a cognitive function. And the other half kind of came to the conclusion of like, no, I think it's just, it's actually a feeling and it really doesn't have anything to do with objectivity or being objectively like knowledgeable. And we sort of like after, through that, I just started thinking through it more and started thinking about how we use it. And we often say, you know, I feel certain. And not only that, but if you just think in your own life, how many times you felt certain and then you were wrong, it's, it's pretty easy to refute mm-hmm. and pretty easy to affirm that it's a feeling. So um, yeah, we just don't like to think of that because we like it to be the the sure thing that we can stand on, that sure footing or grounding. Um, and then that kind of throws it back on us when we realize that's a feeling as well. Yeah. Yeah. You'd mentioned, yeah. And the, I did get to that part. It was the certainty and the confidence. What, how would you say, how would you say confidence is different than certainty? I, well, there's a few ways you probably could think of it. One way I think of it is, Confidence is usually uh, an internal place. So whenever we're confident, it's something that we comes from inside out. Certainty is often sort of an objectivity, meaning it comes from the outside in. Um, I feel certain that these sets of things, these circumstances, these states of affairs in my life are certain. But confidence can be had regardless of those states of affairs. And yeah, so I tend to think of it more inward to outward versus outward to inward. And confidence also allows for that space of not knowing. So I can be confident of something and I can be uncertain of it at the same time because there's that space between confidence and certainty for I don't know, I could be wrong, which I think is an incredibly important way to think about how we hold our faith is at any point we have to be able to say, I don't know, or I could be wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a really interesting way to put it. I mean, how old are you, Jared? That's a secret. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, you definitely. I'm thirty six. <laughs> I'm thirty six. <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, uh, so you're younger. You're younger than both me and Elizabeth. And Chris. So that, that's uh, that's interesting. Um, and listening to you I'm on uh, your podcast, the Bible for Normal People, and and even right now, listening to you speak. I mean, you definitely know your shit. You definitely know your stuff. Um, you definitely kind of come at, at the angle, definitely from a, like a theologian standpoint at, at such a young age. I'm wondering how how did you get into knowing that that's the direction your life was going to take? I mean, how did you decide that you wanted to go to seminary or you wanted to be a pastor? Like what what, what drew you to to that sort of Christianity? To begin? Yeah, that's a good question. I think there's a few things. One, as I'm processing out loud, I knew... From a very young age, 
I was drawn to very deep things. I can remember my second son is like this, so it's very uh, vivid for me. But I can remember thinking a lot about dying. I was like obsessed with death when I was like eight or nine years old. So I was, I was both obsessed with dying and with living. So I used to think about that stuff all the time. So I was a very closet nerd. By the time I was late middle school, early high school, my dream was to be, as most young 12 and 13-year-old boys, to get a PhD in presuppositional apologetics. Um, <laughs> so that was, uh, I used to, I used to, you that's know, go I hang out. about at that age. I, I figured, you know, that's just, that's why it's the Bible for normal people. I figured it, everyone could relate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I was kind of a closet nerd that way. Like, I would go hang out with friends and stuff, and I would come home and listen to cassette tapes of Greg Bonson and Cornelius Van Til and get sort of a, a philosophical theology grounding. Um, and I was headed to Westminster Seminary. That's where I wanted to go since I was a young teenager. So I went to Liberty University, graduated uh, with a degree in philosophy, and then headed straight up to Westminster. So with this... Um, knowledge or respect or I want to say like infatuation with death at eight years old that's not that's not normal either quote unquote um, did, something that happened was there like a death in the family like something happened close to you that made you start thinking that way or no um, um, I had a um, a real need to be in control from a young age and death was one of those puzzles that I couldn't solve it used to drive me bananas that it was the one thing I couldn't control. I couldn't get out of, uh, no matter how hard. It sounds like obsessive compulsive disorder too, possibly. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I would definitely, yeah, I would definitely, uh, probably would have been diagnosed OCD. Um, definitely had some, had some, uh, patterns of behavior that would go that way. Yep. Yeah. And Chris is speaking from all of his master's degrees when he says that too. So. <laughs> Zero master's degrees. Let, 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 him, let him diagnose you real quick. He's right here in your story. No, that's funny that you say that because that would definitely have probably been true for me. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that sounds right. I was listening to uh, a podcast that you were on, The Deconstructionist, and you were talking about Westminster and all that and how you didn't really belong in those places. Uh, but I also learned that growing up, uh, your parents took a different approach to actually getting you churched uh, in that you started out in the Baptist so you could get your fundamentals, but then you switched over to Pentecostal so you could get the Holy Spirit, uh, which I find... That's, that's how I <laughs> yeah, it's It's really interesting. I, f- I find it pretty funny, um, you know, and the fact that you had a, a Native American grandmother that was a preacher... That's my story too, you know. It's really interesting. Um, but tell me a little bit about the journey. Like you've, you, you know, obviously you grew up in church. Your parents made sure that you were churched. Um, like, but now you're talking about how love matters more. And I haven't read your book, but I'm guessing that you're talking about love matters more than possibly religion uh, or things of that matter. So I kind of want to get into how you, you know, went from probably some sort of a fundamentalist background to where you're at today. Are you sure it's not like a political statement? Because it seems like um, the, the timing of everything seems like it's a reaction to the whole like all lives matter. Black yeah, lives matter I mean, uh, you know, so this is we should just fade that, to gray. It can stance. be all the above. You know, <laughs> keep it ambiguous. <laughs> there, you, there you go. Greg. No, I, I think that's, uh, you, you know, I haven't done a lot of reflecting on that, but it has been, you know, I, I really appreciate um, Peter Rollins and some of what he says. And he talks about one thing he he mentioned was, Religion, especially evangelicalism, can be very difficult for people who take it sincerely um, and, and energetically, and that would have been the case for me. I was very sincere in my belief. I took people at face value, that when we said we needed to do X, we do X, and we need to do Y, we do Y. And the problem is we run out of steam in certain sort of disingenuous uh, traditions that way. So you kind of run out of, you realize no one's doing that, because if you do that, you, you run off the rails, you run out of track at the end. And so that would have been my story, just being extremely sincere that when we say, uh, so in high school, I started going to a Presbyterian church by myself because I was drawn to a lot more intellectual uh, faith tradition. And I started taking that really seriously. And the idea of all truth is God's truth. Don't be afraid of truth. Like all truth is God's truth. I took that very seriously and so I just kept running down those tracks and it led me to discovering all sorts of things. And then later I realized, 
oh no, that's not what they meant. <laughs> they didn't mean like pursue it with <laughs> reckless abandon. They meant like stay within. We have the truth, by the way. You don't need to go out there to get it. We all have it here. It's in, you know, Francis Turretin's three volumes of eclectic theology from the 17th century. We figured it out 400 years ago. Just read all that <laughs> and, you know, you're good. So it was that sincerity. I think that was what was most hurtful for me and also what drives what I do now is that that sincerity was turned back on me. And so of all of a sudden I was an evil per- How could you do this? The only way you would do this is either you're dumb or you're evil. You know, either you aren't smart enough to know we already have the answers or you have some secret sin in your life and you're trying to justify it by finding truth out there. And I didn't really appreciate that. And so now I have sort of have my, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. Um, So I kind of have my protective hackles up for those people now who take their faith sincerely. And I don't want that, the rug to get pulled out from under them. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. You definitely put a lot of thought into that. That's for sure. Um, That... Does anybody else have anything? Because if not, I, I, I'm going to keep going. So, so Jared, the sticking with the whole sincerity thought and the whole, this whole that's what brought you to where you're at now. I always find it very interesting to me. Someone who is an intellectual like yourself, um, who is not afraid to ask questions, not afraid to quote unquote deconstruct but still finds a home like in the Christian faith, like pretty fairly like kind of like entrenchedly. And so um, how, how do you, is there a point in your deconstruction where you say, okay, I'm not going any further or do you feel like that? Like um, there's been enough evidence in your faith that wants to, to keep you there. Does, does, I'm asking the question well. Maybe somebody else can rephrase it. But basically, why are you still a Christian? Like, how, like how can you be so smart and ask these questions and and still like stay confidently in the faith? Yeah. Well, you're making a presumption with the word confidently in the faith, but well, um, no. I, I mean, I don't know how nerdy we want to get. Super nerdy. Um, <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, Go. I mean, I think there's two two angles for there. Well, the, the easy way of saying it is, I think a lot of people don't realize how far down the rabbit hole goes, um, and and so I'll I'll kind of say it in a Kierkegaardian way, you know. And he he talks about stages on life's way, and I'm going to take him totally out of context because that's what I do with everyone. I just make them mean whatever I want them to mean. So don't go read stages on life's way or any Kierkegaard scholars on this. This is my interpretation, but it's been really meaningful as a construct. Um, and he talks about these three stages: the aesthetic, the ethical, and the religious. And the aesthetic is sort of taking things at face value. It's more about pleasure, sort of adolescence in a lot of ways. Um, and then there's the ethical, which is when you start taking things very seriously and things get black and white and there's laws and there's rules and there's ways of doing this. And it's, it's like, that's the ethical life. Um, and that's where I would say evangelical is, is in the ethical life. And then there's this stage in between for when things start to break down. And he calls that in fear and trembling, I would say he calls that the night of infinite resignation. Um, when you're infinitely resigned, that all of this structure actually doesn't make any sense at all. And you start tumbling down the rabbit hole. And then at some point you go down far enough. And hopefully, he says, it's very difficult to, to do this. His pseudonym would say, even I haven't done this. But at some point you might become the knight of faith. And that's where you come around the other end through objectivity and into subjectivity. And you make choices for yourself on your own unconditional commitments. And that's where faith comes from. And so for me, why am I a Christian? It's because I want to be. Okay. But isn't that like going against your logic though? Because once you go down that rabbit hole and you are enlightened, let's just say, to things that, you know, once made sense to you now don't, mm-hmm. how do you rebuild that? Yeah, you reframe it. Right, we imbibe old words with new meaning. And where do you get the meaning from? We create it in community. 
So it's something that is not derived from any book, the Bible per se. It's something that you just feel intrinsically within yourself or within your community. Yeah, I mean, Richard Rohr talks about, right, the tricycle of faith. He talks about experience is actually the thing that guides us. Experience is the front wheel of our faith. And then tradition um, and the Bible are the back wheels. I would add community. I like to talk about, you know, the quad of faith, Um, not to one-up Richard Rohr or anything. But I think (laughs) community is important enough to me that it deserves its own wheel. But there's something very true for me that experience guides us. And I think growing up, in my tradition, that would have been um, heresy. That would have been, you can't trust your feelings. You can't trust your own experiences. You just trust what the Bible says, which is really the experiences of the old white guy up in front of everyone. But so, you know, we just have to come to terms with, and I think Rohr does this well, the facts, and the facts are experiences are what we interpret. That's the lens through which we interpret facts and information. And, uh, and, and then we are guided by these other things that keep us from, if we just had experiences, we'd be the unicycle, which is a pretty unstable way of going about life. Um, but if we have only the Bible, that's also a unicycle. It's a pretty unstable way of going about life. And so when we have multiple wheels, we can diversify and get, get more stable in what I would call was wisdom. Whenever we can diversify and look at it from all these perspectives and put all those in our own grab bags for how we make decisions in our everyday life and take those necessary steps to be good neighbors and love God, love others, um, that's wisdom. Is there any time you lean on one of those wheels and not listen to one of the Uh. other wheels? (laughs) Like uh, where you take, hey, you know what, on this issue, I know the Bible says this, but I'm going to lean towards my experience on this like oh yeah for sure I, I would say you know 10 i think it's been 10 or 11 years now i used to have a blog um and i kind of came out in favor of gay marriage and that's you know a part of what ended up me not being a pastor anymore and that was one of those things where like yeah i know what the bible says but mm, i sure surely we're going to create a new interpretation at some point that's going to get us around this thing and until that happens i'm just going to go out on a limb and say Hey, this is just what I, this is what I feel. But what happens when the wheels of this quad or tricycle or whatever you want to call it, they're different sizes and they don't really allow you to go forward because one of them is faulty or one of them doesn't align. Like, that's, do you replace the wheel? Yeah, that's your work, right? I feel like that's, that's our in, internal work. Um and not to make this all about Kierkegaard, but he has this uh, phrase, he says, purity of heart is to will one thing. And I would say the different size of wheels, I would interpret as an, a dividedness within ourselves. Um, things are out of whack. They're not in alignment. And it's our work as individuals to get those things in alignment. So maybe we need to go deflate one of those tires a little bit so that it feels a little bit more steady. What if you just want to rip one of the wheels off? <laughs> go, go for it. Go for it. You know? That's a, it's so Which, yeah Bible, it's so funny Bible, like, of course. The one you're when, I, yes. when I when I first started kind of going through this deconstructive phase and I've always you know been hesitant to say that you do deconstruct you know uh, Caputo and Derrida these forerunners of that phrase they would say you don't do con- deconstruction deconstruction happens to you um, it it is already and it is always and already within ourselves and within the text that we read but <clears throat> anyway so. For me, when I, like this paradigm shift, right? So that's how we think about it. Um, You know, Thomas Kuhn and the Nature of Scientific Revolutions talks about um, you have these data sets and more and more evidence comes in and you can handle the cognitive dissonance for a while. And at some point, something just shifts and now my default becomes something else. And that would have been me 10 years ago. At some point as a pastor, my default just switched. Um, There was still evidence one way or the other, whatever, but my default switched. And at that point, I couldn't read the Bible anymore. I just couldn't do it because every time I picked it up, I had no, I knew I, what I didn't want to do, but I had no frame of reference for doing anything other than what I had been taught to do. And so every time I picked it up, yeah. I was so Makes frustrated. Sense. I didn't know. And so this was tricky business because I was a pastor at the time preaching, you know, sometimes four or five times a weekend. And I just put it away. I, I didn't read it for like a year and a half, two years. I just couldn't. And in that time, I had to go find other lenses. So I read a lot on people who were writing about the Bible, but I didn't read the Bible so that I could learn how other people 
interpreted it in more life-giving ways. And it's through that mimicking them and, and having them be a mirror for me that I learned how to pick it up again. I feel like I'm, I'm That's in that. very articulate. Oh, go ahead, babe. Oh, I was just going to say, I feel like I've d- been doing that myself too. Cause I know like we, Omar is my husband and we've been, we were missionaries up in Alaska for however many years. And I did the missionary thing before we were married too. And so reading the Bible was like part of your job description or something. And so like when we stopped doing that and when I quit the whole worship pastor thing, like, yeah, I get it. Like, I didn't want to hear my interpretation of what I was reading. So that makes a lot of sense that wanting to like, go read other people's perspectives. I I really like that. Because we are only, yeah, that's good, babe, because we were only taught one way to read the Bible. And so right. it, and it's producing the same fruit. And it's like we are tired of getting those same results. And so we think all there is to do is to throw it away. And maybe there, that is true for a time. But that's why I like what Jared's doing. And the reason I asked your question, and it was loaded and it did kind of trigger Chris to ask, you know, some more questions on top of it, because your stance, although more um, articulate than my stance would have been, we had this conversation this week in our Marco Polo Patreon group um, to where like I said, like someone asked me, okay, well, what do you believe? And I, and I kind of like summed it up uh, the same way saying, I just choose, to believe to be a Christian, like it's a choice at this point. It's like I could I could deconstruct further if I really wanted to, but it's like this is where I I, I want to believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, that's that's just the bottom line. I want to, whether it has nothing to do with like trying to prove it or having to be right or anything like that. It's just um, mm-hmm. everything to do with the way you grew up and your reality of what you know, like when shit hits the fan, you know, who you're praying to sort of thing so well the only thing i would say is i think the for me i would just be hesitant to say i could deconstruct it further i i don't i don't feel like i could deconstruct it i, I feel like it has been deconstructed um and and that's just how it, it continues to deconstruct it's a never-ending process and you know that's why we named our our fourth son is his name is exodus because we stopped trying to get to the promised land and we just decided it's time to just put up our tent in the desert um because that's just life and that's the other thing i would want to say you know chris just kind of with some of what you were saying is when i talk about going down the rabbit hole it's not really just about faith it's that most everything in our life is deconstructible there are no stable things there are no stable identities um, we can always, we can de- deconstruct. Science is built on a foundation of deconstruction in that it is always eating itself. It's always cannibalistic. And that's just how knowledge works. It's a process. It's not a final result. Um, and so I just, sometimes I get hesitant because some people want to move to more what I would call like scientism of like, well, we have, yeah, I deconstructed my faith and now I'm resting on the certitude of science. I'm like, well, then you've misunderstood science and you're just exchanging one fundamentalism for another. And what we really have to do is that internal work of accepting that life is not certain. Um, there are no groundings of certitude. Everything is uh, deconstructible. See, I really appreciate that perspective of nothing is certain because from my perspective, if you can't be certain about the the deity of Jesus or, you know, the the God of the Bible or whatever, like if you can't be certain about it, why not just live your life how you want to live it and be as good of a person as you can and call it a day because you'll never know for sure. Uh, if there's an afterlife, you'll never know for sure if any of the stuff that the Bible talks about really does matter. Uh, and so for that reason, you get like one small little wisp of breath of existence and why worry yourself with trying to be, you know, who somebody else wants you to be or who religion tells you to be Seth. Your eternity, your salvation your reputation, you don't know about that. your community. What, what I mean, do you mean? 
Okay, I'll let I'll, this is a question for Jeremy. <laughs> Shut up. I just I get it. I get it. Secure. I, Why even worry about it? Why not just like enjoy the fact that it's a mystery you'll never understand and continue talking about it? But like, why set yourself up as a Christian or a Buddhist or whatever you decide to do? Because he chose. But why? Why choose that if you can't be certain? Well, I, I, I can answer for myself. I choose that because it is <laughs> it is that which has framed me and found, it is it has formed me. I, I even yeah. if I became an yeah. un, even if I denounced Christianity, I would still for most of my life be a Christian. I couldn't help it. It, it frames yeah, the questions the and it frames the perspective and the worldview I have. I can't, it's just like asking me to not be my parents' kid. It's like, what's well, in my DNA? Like it, that was, see, my fate was sealed when I was four years old in terms of how much I'm going to always model myself after my parents. Um, so I think for me, I'm just accepting the fact that I will always be Christian regardless of my belief system. I love the way you put that. That's my answer from now on, Chris. So <laughs> and, and, and to be honest, you know, I think it's important that that stance then requires us to respect those people who don't make that choice. Yeah, for sure. And vice versa, Chris. See, but the re- I respect yeah. it. And the I respect reason it. why I respect, I don't get it. I don't get it at all, but I respect it. I think I just stepped into a domestic <laughs> the issue. The reason why here. I say. Yes. <laughs> not 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 too not too much. Not too bad. It's it's fun. We all we we have fun with you know where we talk about religion and beliefs a lot, and we don't agree on a lot of things. But that's how a nuanced conversation no, we, happens. We, so we pretty much all disagree. <laughs> that's good. That's good. This is a place I like to be. Then. And the gay man's more religious <laughs> than any of us. It's true. So okay, yeah. And now I I have been. I have been quiet. <laughs> I have been listening and, and being have been educated. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit around this deconstruction. Um, as you have gone through this, you know, we've kind of talked about it's that domino effect. It's one thing after another. You kind of mentioned it has this cannibalistic feel to it to where it kind of eats at itself. In Have there been things you've wanted to deconstruct but found yourself having difficulty in doing so? And if so, what were those things and how did you overcome it? I I have not. Um, I have not had anything. Okay. I think I made a conscious... I don't do things halfway very well. <laughs> so I think once I saw that I was on this trajectory, I made a conscious decision to say, there is there is nothing sacred here. We, we're not going to hold anything back because imme- I'm just so analytical. My, my my mind would immediately go to, but why that? Why, why would you just corner off? If I didn't have a really good reason to kind of corner off these three beliefs or these seven beliefs, like everything felt porous at that point. So I would say, because I, I wasn't, you know, and it's interesting because if you think about sort of my degrees in philosophy that, that started pretty young now that I'm older, I'm like, wow, that's like 17, 18 years old kind of starting to question not belief, uh, beliefs, but structures of belief, sort of what's behind belief, the systems of belief. And so for me, when you start talking about the structures of belief, the, the content of those beliefs are, are sort of second tier questions, I guess. Um, so not for me. Um, I didn't, I didn't have that. That's awesome for you. With that perspective, yeah, that is a that is a good perspective, and I and I would, I love it because it starts out with the whole baseline, nothing sacred, and so like going back to, that's why I would say you can deconstruct past Christianity sometimes, and still, I still consider myself Christian in certain conversations like this one. I can relate to everything you're saying. Like, yeah, I, I agree with that. But then there's other conversations we had earlier today with somebody who would not consider themselves Christian at all. And I could say, like, I agree hundred percent with what you're saying as well. And so for me, it's kind of like, it is nothing but a label. And that's kind of like, you, you mentioned that earlier, like the label's good, but it doesn't fully define who I am. It's not, it's not a good label, but it's kind of the best way. And it's just one of the wheels on the, I mean, I don't, it's, it's, that's a weird thing to use to, to, to describe for me. Um, because I don't, I see 
like Chris said, like, I don't know how important the Bible is on that wheel other than it is part of a foundation of, of who I am. I can't deny that, but I don't rely on that at all. It's kind of like a spare tire in the back at this point. You know, it's like, it's there if I need it. If, so if one of the other things falls off, like I'll lose my community or lose something else, then maybe I'll pick that back up and it might get me where I need to get. Probably not, but it's there. <laughs> so, Yeah, for me, it's just a, it's a vocabulary. Oh, you're muted or something's going on with your mic. Oh, that was weird. Okay. Yeah, for me, it, it's a vocabulary. And I think that's, but I take that seriously. You know, some might say it's just a vocabulary, but I'm always interested in those kind of words like only or just because that kind of gives us the posture uh, with which we're saying something. I think it's important that it's a vocabulary. Um, and again, yeah, sort of our language creates our world. And so I think it's it's important language that I grew up with. It's, it's again, that language is how I help make sense of the world. And my job has been to uh, take those meanings down off the shelf and then imbibe them with something new. Uh, but I would still use the same language. And then I would be okay if someone else uses that language, but they mean something different by it. Um, and that's okay. But the biggest problem with those, the wheels that are on kicker guards, I'm not even saying his name right, uh, tricycle or now we're going with the quad was the community one when i know what you meant but i wrote this down you were talking about the different phases of like understanding or something like that and you and you said that the evangelical church is that the ethical one and i was like whoa okay like which evangelical evangelical church are you watching because i think that they threw the ethics out the window a long time ago and they're they're relying on something else because it doesn't seem like the things that should be ethical are not and so like but i i, I think just I, to clarify now we're not talking about the content of belief but the structure of it so ethics in that sense only means that we think things are black and white and that there are rights and wrongs and we know what the rights are and we live by the right and things good things will happen to you it's sort of a karmic uh in the bible we might call it deuteron- deuteronomistic or uh you know retributive so good things will happen to you if you do good things and bad things will happen to you if you do bad things it's sort of a simplistic uh a plus b equals c way of seeing the moral life regardless of the content of that belief okay so i would say evangelicals still have that almost- game that they play yeah. But isn't that what the Bible teaches, though? I mean, it's the law, and and the Jews understood that to keep the law was to know God, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, I, I, do, I just don't understand how you could ever divorce the two. You're talking about how things aren't so black and white, but the Bible makes it pretty clear what's black and white. Mm-hmm. Yeah, except that the Bible is diverse. So, I would just ask, what parts of the Bible? Yeah, is it the Bible or is it, you know, a interpretation of the Bible that's making it black and white? Like also. I mean, the law is the law. And, and even Jesus quoted from from the law, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, I, all I'm saying sure. is is that to me the Bible seems pretty um black and white, mm-hmm. you know. There's not a whole lot of gray area there, I don't think. Yeah, I mean, yeah. No. Because I see a lot of gray area in the Bible personally. I think I see parts where it argues with itself. People will say mm-hmm. that, it, you know, it's almost like. Right. Um, I mean, the, the classic example, right, is the Proverbs, which are notoriously hard to pin down. Um, so you have, I think it's in Proverbs 26, you have contradicting uh, Proverbs back to back. So answer a, cool, answer a fool according to his folly, yeah. um, lest he be wise in his own eyes. Cool. And then the next verse is do not answer a fool according to his folly. Um, lest you be like him. So the question is, when do you do that? What What's the rule? Well, it depends, right? It's a contradiction. Um, the point is you have to be wise in order to interpret the, that particular passage wisely. Um, so that's the great irony of the wisdom books is you can only make sense of them if you're already wise. Yeah. I just, I don't personally, Chris, see the Bible as black and white as maybe that you do. So I think that really does go back to like maybe how we were taught how to look at the Bible. Sure. Because right? I think I was well, raised. I don't know if, is it, is it the Bible being black and white or is it the interpretation of the Bible being black and oh, white? I that's think the issue there are thousands upon thousands of interpretations of 
text mm-hmm. that is written and has been written for 2000 years. That's the point of Mark. So no one can agree on it, you know? I, so therefore it's not a perfect text. And the things that it says are pretty black and white. You can find gray area by disagreeing on it. The interpretation, certainly, I guess there's gray, but the Bible says what it says. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, about it. I, I would agree. I think to advocate for, you know, what Chris is saying, I think there are parts of the Bible that are pretty dogmatic um, and that do make the case pretty uh, emphatically for this sort of black and white. Um, and again, we have scholars would designate a portion of scripture that they could actually pull out and say, yeah, there was a group of editors or redactors, the Deuter, you know, the Deuteronomist, um, who would have had this clear theology, this karmic divine karma in, in the blessings and cursings at the end of Deuteronomy sort of spell it out pretty clearly. If you obey these laws, here's all the good stuff that's going to happen to you. And if you don't, here's all the atrocious things that will happen to you. So that's clearly in our Bible. But I think it's important to recognize that we can't just say the Bible in sort of this uh, unifying way because it's not a unifying book. You have parts of the Bible that seem to be clearly going contrary to that Deuteronomic theology to say, you know what? Within the people of God, we're having this debate and this argument. Not everyone thinks that way. So basically, you're essentially saying that through wisdom, you can determine which scriptures would be ones that you would use to, uh, I guess, facilitate your religion or your your choice of uh, what you're going to believe in? Well, we yeah, I mean, I would say a simple way of saying it is we all pick and choose. And so the question becomes, what's the criteria? And I would say that's wisdom. Okay. You know, I think if you're a good person, you choose good criteria. And if you're a not so good person, you choose not so good criteria. And if you're an ignorant person, you choose ignorant criteria. Like the Bible is only good insofar as we interpret it well. Um, And for me, that's where love matters more. That is the principal thing for me that I mean by that phrase. Lens, the lens we use to read the Bible has to be a lens of love because what we put in is what we get out. I'm really glad that you brought it back to that because I was going to ask about that. You know, whenever it comes to the Bible and cherry picking whatever verses you want to take to say, this is what I'm going to, you know, (laughs) base my faith in. I'm not trying to say that negatively. I'm just saying (laughs) at the end of the day, you're saying that, that doesn't really matter. What you're saying is, is that loving people, like basically what Jesus said as the Great Commission, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. is what really matters. Well, not even just the Great Commission, but he has that, you know, that famous uh, passage where the uh, Pharisee is trying to trip him up and ask, what's the greatest commandment? You know, we have 613 here. Which one are you going to choose? It's like asking in front of your kids, okay, which one's your favorite baby? And Jesus goes, you know, he only answers directly three questions out of all the questions that are asked him. He usually actually sidesteps the question. Only three times does he answer directly. And one of those times is in that verse when somebody says, what's the greatest commandment? Without hesitation, he says, uh, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one's like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. All of the, all of the law and the prophet. Now, and that's a shorthand way of saying the Tanakh, right? The Torah and the Nevi'im. Basically, that's the way of saying all of the scriptures hang on those two things. Um, So for me, a Jesus hermeneutic, a lens of love to read the Bible rightly, is just to take Jesus at his word and say, okay, whatever it is, it hangs on these two things. So if it doesn't lead to those two things, then that's an improper interpretation. And St. Augustine, you know, three or 400 years later, writes about this in one of his famous books on uh, how to read the Bible, where he basically says, if you're ever confused, the the proper interpretation is always the interpretation that leads to the proper love of God and neighbor. If you don't love God and neighbor through that interpretation, you haven't read the scriptures as you ought. I'm in the middle of the chapter on truth. Um, that's where I've had to leave off before we did the interview. Um, and it, your quote on page 53, it takes wisdom. It takes informed nuance to know how to love people well. Like when, when love matters most. That I can see what you're saying. Like you've got the wisdom side of things, you've got your um, biblical worldview, your worldview, um, and that's that's where you that's where you get to mm-hmm. in the end, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like, what, what? 
What, Omar? Well, love, but I think the biggest thing that you keyed in on there for me or we've been talking to a handful of people, Jared, who've been camped out on this love message as of recent. And it's been great. It's been great to, um, you know, it makes me, you know, have more faith in God, you know, that he's trying to say something. And um, with that, like what you just said, that love God with all your heart, but love your neighbor as yourself, like you have to love yourself Mm -hmm. in order to do Mm -hmm. that. And so it's really interesting that a lot of our, a lot of our guests we've had recently have been preaching self-love and it's been triggering maybe one of our podcast co-hosts. I can't imagine based on the facial expression who that is. I, I, yeah, yeah. And it's like, I knew where he was going before he even got there. I'm not going to stop because I am mentioning you, but the point isn't you. The point is, thank God. The point is the fact, well, well, I know we have a hard time listening. Just hold on a second. The, the the, the, The point is the fact that you have to, to love yourself before you can love anybody. It's impossible. And if not, you're going to, you're going to treat other people with the <laughs> same <laughs> sort of standard or judgment or whatever you have on yourself. That that's your view that you're going to put impose on other people. So can and I so, problematize that for a second? Um, Omar, would yeah. you know anyone that you would say doesn't love themselves as they ought, but isn't a complete everybody? Jerk? <laughs> oh, 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 I'm sorry. I, I would I, I would just say I have <laughs> some counterexamples to that. I have people in my life who I think tr- are treated like doormats and they think that's what they're supposed to do. They don't love themselves well, but they're not judgmental. They I find them well. to be usually very gracious yeah. and very loving people. You just said it was impossible, hmm. so I was just curious. Yeah, I, oh, I'm, no, that's a good question. I'm, I'm thinking it through right well, now. I, yeah. I would... Because I, I, I would, cause I would push back on that. <laughs> I'm thinking of Jesus' well, example, saying, you, right? So Jesus, like, I don't know how many times talks about, Jesus, about this process about of, I, I know, but he, as, as the great example that Jesus is, right, he gives us this process of kenosis where he's completely taking out his will, what he wants to do with his own life, and he's injecting whatever God wants. How is that loving yourself? Like, I don't understand how doing what other people or other entities want you to do as opposed to doing what you want to do with the life is loving yourself at all. Well, you know, just to say again, the Bible is a little problematic in this because there are points where it says that. And there are points where it says, you know, I do this of my own accord. So it seems as though Jesus is willingly doing this. It is what Jesus wants to do. So again, it's like, we got it. How do we, how do we square those together? There, there's no, you know, what's the, who, who's the tiebreaker in that sense when we have these conflicting accounts? Your wisdom, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> or, your, or your love. <laughs> well, well, to answer your question, Jared, because I, I do want to answer it because that, that's good. I, I have my thoughts on something and I like it to be challenged. But, you know, Elizabeth spoke up and she says, you know, she feels like she's an example of that. And I... I, I I don't know that doing things for people or being nice to people is, is necessary loving people either. But, um, you know, cause a lot of times you're, it's a duty mentality thing. You end up just burning out anyway. And it's not, and a lot of times you're doing that because you want to be loved more than you actually love. So to answer your question, I think I still stand by what I said. <laughs> Good. I, I mean, I think that you're gen- generally correct. I, I would just be, for me personally, I would be aware of saying it's impossible. I think it's important. I think it's really valuable that we love ourselves, but I wouldn't have... To- you get triggered by certain two words. <laughs> there are no absolutes, sure. right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But that's you know. I just think that we just have to be careful with that because I think yeah. it could actually undermine your own argument um, in conversation. So, is it important that people love themselves? I think sure, but I wouldn't base that on because it's impossible to love people well if you don't. I think I base it on psychologists' research. That's my interpretation of that that verse. I mean, I'm not saying that that verse is right, but I think that's what the verse mm-hmm. is saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's true. 
I'm, it's still blowing my mind that without any absolutes or certainties, you that you even claim a, a religion. <laughs> I mean, and not just you. I'm talking about like the everybody you, you know, like anyone can with with that mentality. I mean, I get it. I can choose to believe in whatever I want to believe in and that's cool. And you're talking about how it's like just ingrained within you. Um, there are things that I grew up around that I, if I were to uh, embody them or, you know, bring them into my life, it would, I, I would be a really negative person, right? So I can pick and choose what I want to use for my upbringing to, I guess, like define who I am or define what I believe. Um, I, I just don't know how you can do that with a Bible that you can't define or, and I know that's just my, that's my relationship with faith because I was Baptist whenever I was a Christian and that Bible was the fourth member of the Trinity. You know what I'm talking about? So like for (laughs) me, it's hard to even think about anything God related without thinking about that Bible, Um, which obviously in our conversation today is very problematic, (laughs) you know, in, in many places. And so I don't know. I don't know how you do it, but it's cool. I'm I'm happy that you do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I've been on this journey. You know, two words that have been really helpful for me, um, and I steal some of this from Richard Rorty, who's a pragmatic uh, philosopher. But this idea of the contingent conviction is is really critical for me. So, how do we have conviction for something we know is contingent? That, 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 that doesn't work within the modernist framework, whether that's Christian or not Christian. Christianity has bought into a modernist framework by kind of adopting some of these things. So that's been my journey. That's, it's been the challenge, and it's not been an easy one, but I, I like challenges. I like puzzles. So for me to solve that, how can I live a life of contingent conviction is incredibly important to me. How do I stay engaged in the conversation, but I'm not hooked in my ego to the result? Like that's, that's a trick. Um, but it, it keeps me, it keeps me sort of getting up in the morning. So, yeah. but I, yeah, all that to say is I think it's, it's, it's very difficult. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, honestly, Jared, I, I get dinged a lot for saying it, but that's here at Fade to Gray. That's really kind of like our heart too. Like when we come to the table and we have these type of conversations that, that we're able to, learn like like even like like i love the fact that like you challenged something that i said like i'm like that's great like i i want to think through what i'm saying so i'm not just spouting out and uh and it's and it's really interesting how you're probably gonna get in my head now about those <laughs> certain two things because elizabeth she's laughing because <laughs> i've that's i am that way um, especially like in arguments and in conversations, like I'm very literalist. And so if you say something, you mean that. And if you say it, then I, I will argue against it and think that. And so, um, I, and I am not that way. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Well, I'd be interested. Uh, so we know, who, so, so we, we know who wins arguments. <laughs> All the time. <laughs> well, I, I think that's really interesting. Omar, I'd be, I'd appreciate if you had a chance to flip through the book, I would appreciate some of your feedback. Cause I, I feel like, that okay, would definitely. have been, yeah, I think that's my, my natural inclination is exactly what you're talking about for sure. Yeah. I mean, it's been a pleasure getting to know you and like li- listen to Elizabeth talk about your book and you're, you know, just listen to you on your podcast and things like that. I've, I, I relate to you a lot. You know, we're in the same state too, by the way. Uh, we're just North of Pittsburgh out here. Oh so yeah. Here in okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so, so yeah. So, um, yeah, maybe it was like, uh, read your book and maybe we'll catch up or something yeah. like in person and maybe uh, <laughs> when we're not follow, all dying from COVID uh, co- co- yeah say COVID <laughs> probably like six, six feet apart from each other through masks we can like you know interact and stuff like that but no it's been a great it's been a pleasure sometimes it can be intimidating um, talking to somebody who I mean the the way you quote and can recall your stuff um, you clearly haven't smoked nearly as much weed as I have so <laughs> 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 but but like it's been a great conversation honestly I, I appreciate your time i appreciate your your vulnerability i appreciate you're willing to deal with you know chris's hard questions and the dynamic dynamics of the group i just feel like um 
definitely one of us. I encourage people to to read read the book. I know I'm going to. Like I said, I can't wait to hear your sweet voice like, <laughs> reading it to me um, at, at, as I'm at work. But um, but yeah, and I'll give you some feedback, and we can maybe even have you sure. back on yeah. sometime soon. Where can people uh, see you at? Where can they uh, you know come and ask you questions? Yeah, so I'm I'm on most social media things. So Instagram, um, Facebook, have an author page there, and um, and Twitter as well. Uh, my website's jaredbias.com. So if you want information about the book, you can go there. And of course, every week we have a new episode of the Bible for Normal People. So I encourage you to check that out too. So similar to you guys, you know, we have a, a Patreon for the Bible for Normal People too. So that's where people, if they really want to get to know us, um, we have book studies that we guide people through. Um, we have. Um, like chat groups we have a slack group sounds like maybe similar to your marco polo um so we have all these kind of conversations with pete and myself so that's patreon.com front slash the bible for normal people that's awesome and uh do you prefer that people buy your book from the website or can they get it on amazon or i just prefer people buy it I, yeah from where gotcha <laughs> Not important. Do, do you want to uh are you able to maybe if you're so inclined set up a, a discount code for fade to gray listeners oh i will talk to i will put that on my list of things to spot. do yeah I, I'm not in charge of this kind of thing. You can say so on Facebook It's easy enough for me yes. just to say I'll put you in touch with the important people who will tell you yes or no. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Trinity. Yes, Trinity. <laughs> yes. Awesome. So, yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, we'll talk in Cyberland then. Thanks. Appreciate you. Nice to meet you. Yeah. All right. We're off live. So any questions or thoughts, concerns before we get going? I think if not. I have an unspoken prayer request. Oh, <laughs> okay. I hear that. Jesus sees that unspoken. Yes. Seth. Do you mind going over <laughs> to my uh, screen on here and making me host? Yes, sir. So that I can do our, our thing. You are now the man. That's what I appreciate.